Welcome to the Asian Digital Supermovers interview series on Clubhouse, where we speak to experts, founders, and investors about the Asian digital economy and ecosystem every week. Monica, Mushir, and I, Pratish, invite guests for a conversation about building, scaling, and operating businesses in Asia. Follow our club on Twitter. Our handle is AD Supermovers for providing us any feedback and staying updated on interview series guests and topics. About Richard, besides being the co-author of two books sorry author of two books he is an award-winning executive previously heading fintech teams at ibm following a 20-year career heading trading teams at global investment banks he has been living in shanghai for the last decade and has experienced china going cashless first hand the combination unique combination of banking and technology skills that allow him to bring the exciting story to life he's an independent consultant whose views on china's astounding fintech development are widely sought by international media and private clients you can know more about Richard by going to richturin.com. So R-I-C-H-T-U-R-I-N.com. Welcome, Richard. Hey, everybody. Let's talk central bank digital currency and have some fun. Thanks a lot, Richard. We're excited to have you here while you while we're looking to get you on. I just gave a very brief introduction to how the cashless payments in China have evolved. So how Alibaba was an enabler. Um, so we can probably, if there are questions, we could take that later. But I guess let's move into this story, right? Which is, let's go straight to the point. Why is there a need for a central bank digital currency in mainland China, given the fact that you already have such a high penetration of digital money through mobile uh, platforms, right? The Chinese uh, payment numbers are, what, 200 times what happens in uh, the US in terms of uh, online payments. So why do they need to switch to a central bank digital currency? Look, that's a great question. So there's two ways to look at this. The first way is to say, China's doing great, why bother? Think about it for a second. The amount of volume on the WeChat and Alipay mobile payment platforms is more than twice all of the global credit card use. Think about it for a second. Add up all of the use of all of the credit cards in the planet. And Alipay and WeChat are double that. So it's a really big number. I don't have, I think it's 52 trillion. I can't remember. It's really big. But the point is, on one hand, you'd say, why bother? This has led to China, China's 40% of China's GDP being digitally related. <clears throat> so to give you a, a comparison for that, think about the UK with 9% of its GDP having digital relationship and the United States with, ready, wait for it, 7% of its GDP being related to digital. So you say, China's already got 40%, why bother? And it's really simple. WeChat and Alipay, as wonderful as they are and as big as these numbers are, still have only digitized a portion of China's payment streams. There's more to digitize. If China is 40% GDP, 40% of China's GDP is digital today, it'll be 50% tomorrow or the next day after central bank digital currency. China is making a fundamental statement to say, we are going digital as a society, money is going digital. 
And while Alipay and WeChat Pay are wonderful, there's more that we can do. So, for example, right now, and we'll go for the big one right off the bat, right off the top. If you think about it, if you live in China, you pay for everything with WeChat and Alipay, but you certainly don't get paid your salary if you work for a big company from Alipay and WeChat. So now we're able to actually take this next step. And anybody who's been following Central Bank Digital Currency knows that JD.com started trials with paying some, not all of its employees, in Central Bank Digital Currency. It's a revolution. So parts of the payment flow that have not been digitized yet, that don't naturally fit on WeChat or Alipay, are going to go to central bank digital currency. And that 40% of GDP that's digital, it's going to go bigger. And that's what's really behind China's push for a central bank digital currency. It's not saying, oh, that's good enough, we're going to stop here. It's going for more. It's going all in, as they say. Thank you for that insight. I'm just going to do a quick Zoom reset. This is the Asian Digital Supermovers Club. We're very delighted to have Richard Turin, an expert on China and Chinese fintech, to talk to us about China's cashless revolution and the digital currency. Please do ping in any of your friends whom you feel should be interested in this by clicking on the plus button. Uh, Richard's here on the stage, so we will start taking questions very soon. Maybe, Richard, uh, we will... Uh, move to the next one question that I have and then we can uh, open up to the audience including uh, Sarah and uh, others who have asked questions. So sure. my next question is with regards to the functionality of the CBDC and the use thereof what makes it different because there is this conversation about it being a blockchain or not being a blockchain it's a DLT etc uh, why uh, what are the advantages of having a CBDC over the digital form of uh, sure. Let me be. Absolutely. Look, let's just clarify a few things that I have in my book, Cashless. And let's just start with a few basic building blocks so that we can build on these questions as we go on through the program today. First of all, central bank digital currency. The key words are central bank, meaning not cryptocurrency. Okay, number one, central bank backed, meaning that your paper cash in China is, of course, issued by and backed by the central bank. And the new central bank digital currency is a digital currency, but it has units of currency that are backed by the central bank. All right. So not crypto. That's the number one thing. Now, the next thing most people are thinking are, gee, if it's a central bank issued digital currency, all digital currencies are on blockchain. This must be as well. And it is true that many central bank digital projects look at blockchain, but China decided not to go with a blockchain-based digital currency. Now, let's ask why. And the first thing we got to think about is China's is really big, 1.4 billion people. And to give you an idea of how fast the network has to be to handle the payment needs of 1.4 billion, when Alipay 
and its parent company, Alibaba, run their Singles Day. That's like the big Christmas shopping day, right? When they run peak uh, transactions, they will handle 500,000 transactions per second on the Alipay network during peak flow. When when a big percentage of 1.4 billion people are all buying stuff on the Alibaba shopping platform. So you've got a need for speed that is just really above and beyond any place else. So let's put some of these numbers in context. Alipay's maximum throughput, we really don't know what it is, but they've claimed 550 or 520 was their peak. So if they could do that, they could probably do more. 520,000 transactions per TPS, okay? So now let's look at Visa and MasterCard. If you look at the credit card networks for the West, they're looking at a transaction per second of 50 to 70,000 transactions per second. Big difference. You're dropping a zero, right? An order of magnitude difference in the speed. Now, let's take one more data point just out of curiosity. The payment networks that the People's Bank of China itself runs, not Alipay, but the credit card and other networks, they peak out at around 250,000 transactions per second. So China has this need that blockchain simply is not going to handle for them. Now, we'll go back to that statement in a second, because I know there's somebody who's saying, no, Ethereum 2.0. So the design spec for China's central bank digital currency in the very early days, before they had decided on not using blockchain was 300,000 transactions per second. And the question that the research lab, the PBOC Research Lab for Digital Currency had is, how are we going to get this? And frankly, they started this project in 2014, and there was no blockchain system available that was going to get them that speed. So it's just practical. They had no real choice. They went with a database that has cryptography, hashes, and a lot of the characteristics of a blockchain, but it is not truly a blockchain network, and it's all based on the need for speed. There we go. That's very well articulated. Thank you so much. I will move to questions now. Sierra had a question with regards to the the geopolitics at play and how the the CBDC, the Chinese CBDC, would have an impact in Africa. Sierra, do you want to ask that question again and probably ask yeah, maybe. Ma- thank you, Mushir. Maybe I suggest we we broaden the question slightly so that Richard can pick and choose how to reply it. But I wanted to ask you your views on the politics behind the CBDC, whether internal politics within China or, and I admit that was more of my interest, the utilization of CBDC outside of China. And here I was thinking in particular Africa, but I'm happy for to take the conversation at a broader scale if you prefer. Thank you, Richard. Sure. Africa is my favorite. Look, a hundred years from now, 
when we look at every look a hundred years from now, digital currency of some form, whether it's the central bank digital currency we have now, who knows? But the point is, if we look at some future, the biggest legacy that central bank digital currency will have is financial inclusion. They are wonderful for financial inclusion and bring the ability to save money and have banking services to the end bank. And that's not imaginary. That's exactly what WeChat and Alipay did in the rural villages of China. It was big. It went through those villages and revolutionized the ability of poor people who don't have access to brick-and-mortar banks because they're, they're, not, they're just simply... China, they have a lot of small rural villages. They just simply are not going to support brick-and-mortar banks everywhere. So financial inclusion, Africa, central bank digital currency are all wonderful. Let me come back to it. Politics for central bank digital currency in China was the first question of the two. And the answer is there were or there was very little political fighting or disagreement as to whether or not to build a central bank digital currency in China. And what's important for everybody to know, and you'll hear this misreported over and over again, you'll hear people saying, oh, the PBOC, People's Bank of China, launched the central bank digital currency because they really want, they really hate WeChat and Alipay. They want to get even. I have news for you. The central bank digital currency project started in 2014, the same year that WeChat and Alipay launched to the market in their more modern form. So the concept that one was born of a desire to kill the payment platforms, WeChat and Alipay, are simply not true. Back in 2014, the PBOC said, hey, they acknowledged that payment was going digital. And they acknowledged that the natural progression was to have a digital currency that was run by the government. And they didn't quickly rush this through in 2018 and 19 when WeChat and Alipay had really taken off, much to everybody's surprise. Look, the PBOC... Nobody knew that Alipay and WeChat Pay were going to be such phenomenal successes. That's true. But the central bank digital currency was not born of a desire to displace them. So there was very little political issue with regard to making a CBDC for China. And, of course, the retail banks eventually loved it. They may not have loved it or paid much attention in the very early days, 2014, 15, 16, but by the time 2017 and 18 came along and banks don't have immediate digital payment and WeChat and Alipay do, they were getting hammered. So certainly the banks loved digital currency post-2017 because they saw it as a way for them to stay relevant. Now, international use. One thing that we have to really bear in mind, 
And this popped up a little bit when we talked, when we heard the initial discussion of Libra. Not DM, but the early version of Libra, Libra, first iteration. One of the things we have to be aware of is that central bank digital currencies are potentially very useful in developing countries because potentially the digital RMB is a more stable or potentially more useful currency than some native currencies in developing nations. But what the Central Bank of China, the People's Bank of China has to be aware of is they don't want to destabilize and to disrupt a country with a developing country with a fragile currency. So what you're going to see is can China CBDC be used in a developing country, potentially in Africa? The answer is yes. But the implementation will have to be worked out very carefully between the PBOC and the native central bank to ensure that nothing goes wrong. Now, look, that's a fundamental difference. If you look at a cryptocurrency or you look at the original version for, of Libra, <laughs> their plan was toss it out there and see who wants to use it. If your country's currency is destabilized, that's your problem. We don't give a damn. And frankly, the, the, the China wants to be a good neighbor to all the Belt and Road countries or Belt and Road Initiative countries, BRI countries. So they're not going to just throw the China's uh, new digital currency out into Africa and say, okay, use it as you will. No, it's going to be carefully rolled out in coordination with central banks to ensure that those countries' own currencies are not disrupted in any meaningful manner. Okay, so there's the two questions, the Africa question, which is really a developing world question, and the other question about internal politics for CBDC in China. But Richard, why are you making the, the assumption that indeed this is not the intention of China to destabilize and weaken some local currencies in Africa? Because in the end, they would clearly benefit in their trade relationships. Okay, to benefit in trade relationship would mean to me that a developing country uses central bank digital currency in trade with China. Absolutely wonderful use case. Nothing wrong with that. That's happened. I write about that. That's going to happen. I write about yeah. that in my book. However, what has to be clear is whether this will be used for commercial purposes or on the retail level. So if you're a trading company, already have a Chinese bank account with the Chinese bank, sure, it's obvious that you're going to use this. You'll use it in trade. But what has to ha what China has to be mindful of is that if a CBDC were to be quickly adopted for retail use and the economy were to, were to start to revalue to use digital RMB, that could be destabilizing for the existing currency. China doesn't want to do that. Look, China wants to have good neighbors. If you launch a CBDC or China launches its CBDC and says, okay, everybody in developing country X can use it overnight, 
and that causes financial difficulty for the country in question, that's terrible. And that's a real thing. Libra, that was a major critique of Libra in the early days, is will you force or will people run from their existing currencies into a new currency, further destabilizing and causing further problems with financial problems in the country of question. Does that make sense? Yes, of course it does. Thank you. You're, look, Thanks. you're very welcome. Is if that if the, look if the answer didn't suit or, or I'm not hitting it, just tell me. I'm happy. I'm happy to be corrected. No, no. Let me digest it and leave space for others, and maybe come back to you if time permits. Sure. I look forward to it. Thank you for that question, Sarah. Rahul, your question, please make a brief introduction about yourself too. Sure, Monsieur. Thank you so much. Hi, I am a banker in India and great insights about the CBDC. I want to know, how do you see India coming up the curve in relation to what China is doing with payments? And we are also doing a lot of stuff around fintech and payment in India. How do you see that in terms of competition? Sure. Uh, look, I don't look at any of this as a competition. Look, India has UPI. I write about the, the UPI infrastructure in my book, and I commend India for having the forethought to to launch the UPI infrastructure, which is which has revolutionized the country. So it's very interesting when you look at India, and for example, when you look at Australia. Australia also has. What's called, I think it's called the new payment platform, NPP. Somebody can maybe can correct me on that. But it's similar to UPI. So they have this immediate digital payment system. And in India's case, as far as domestic use of UPI versus domestic use of a central bank digital currency, it's a hard call. Australia just said, look, we they were just in the they were just in the news today with the Australia's central bank saying look we can't really justify going to a central bank digital currency system because we have the new payment platform npp and that provides us with immediate digital payment 24/7 throughout the country and it's a great system and they are so the answer is there is no rush to get a central bank digital currency. I think that we read about the AI race between the U.S. and China, which I think is BS, and there is no central bank digital currency race. I think central bank digital currencies are good. I think they are helpful, especially for countries where financial inclusion is low and the technology for payment is equivalently low. And you want to you want to have a laugh at a good country for that? The United States, the U.S. still uses a lot of checks. I'm not joking. If you look, the U.S. is one of the leading users still checks per capita, paper checks used per capita in the U.S. is one of the leaders. They don't have a UPI interface. They don't have a lot of this stuff. A central bank digital currency would certainly be beneficial for them. Less joking aside. Look at the two existing trials that are the one existing central bank digital currency in the world. The first, the island of the Bahamas. 
lots of tiny little islands with a hundred inhabitants. There's no way you can put a bank there. So for developing and for developing nations and for island nations where banks are hard to build, central bank digital currencies solve an immediate problem. So if India wants a central bank digital currency, I think it's wonderful. I think it can be a uh, a wonderful addition to the existing wonderful payment systems that you got, but there should be no rush or race to get one because, frankly, India's got one of the best payment systems in the in in the planet. God bless it. So it was by the central bank a wonderful project that was that showed great forethought. I really give them a lot of credit. Great insight. Thanks, Rich. Uh, there is one more question, Mushir. I can ask. Uh, that's okay. I'm fine. Yeah. Look, I'll talk all day long. Huh. Yeah. Please. Yeah, Rich, you mentioned I'll one to, thing. I'll try to make the answer snappier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Rich, you mentioned one thing that China and fintech, right? The CBDC and fintech. So, do you think that the Central Bank of China would be approving more fintechs and bringing them into retail banking or digital banking authorization? Because if CBDC becomes a prevailing thing, do you see fintech is going down completely? Because they would not be... Oh, exactly. It's exploding. It's going to explode. Yeah, yeah. Look, look, here's the reality. People, look, particularly if you're reading the Western media about China's CBDC, there's two narratives. The first narrative is, oh my God, it's going to kill WeChat and Alipay. And what... People in the West don't get, they continuously think about a zero-sum game where any gain, any usage of central bank digital currency takes away from WeChat and Alipay. No way. We got, they're digitizing new payment streams that have not yet been digitized. And as far as fintech goes, when you have a national digital currency, you've already got lots of, particularly blockchain fintechs, trying to come up with new ways to use it. So the funny thing is, let me just make something that will, I think, help people. It is true that China's central bank digital currency is not built on blockchain, but wait for it, it was designed to be carried on blockchain. So they have the blockchain service network, which is blockchain infrastructure for the entire nation. And man, there's a lot of small startups who are looking at exactly what they can do with blockchain and the central bank digital currency. So it is going to be um, a boon or a benefit for fintechs here, not a, not a, not a, not a problem in the least. Richard, do you mind clarifying what it means that CBDC will not be run on blockchain, but was designed to be run on blockchain? Oh yeah. Okay. So just a slight variation on that. Okay. I say central bank digital currency was not built on blockchain. In other words, the underlying technology for China's CBDC is not blockchain. So China's central bank digital currency was not built on blockchain, but the CBDC, the currency itself, was designed to be 
carried by blockchain. In other words, how do you transmit digital payments of digital currency? <laughs> blockchain? Sounds like a natural to me, right? What you're seeing already is they were the first blockchain trials where salaries were paid limited small amounts in blockchain through like an HR system where the HR system said, hey, we have to pay the following 50 employees or 100, whatever they were. And they transferred central bank digital currency into the employees' digital wallets using a blockchain system. So central bank digital currency being carried on the block, uh, on blockchain, even if it is not technically speaking, a blockchain-built uh, system. Okay, there you go. Thanks. Thanks for that, Richard. Thanks. Monica, would you like to do a quick room reset? Shini, do you want to go ahead and ask your question on and the regulatory environment around DD? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Richard. It was lovely to hear you. But before I ask you about the whole the governance view of the Communist Party on, on the and financial and now Didi, I also want to ask you, why do they call it CBDC if it's not decentralized? If it is centralized, how is it any different from uh, currency that's digital anyway issued by banks? Great question. Okay, so... That's a wonderful question, and it goes to the basics of what is digital currency and how is it different than credit cards or anything else. Okay, ready? So here's the great reveal, and that is that the modern banking systems that we have, including credit cards and everything, are digital. No question about it. So when you send money using UPI, it's a digital system. And yes, we currency transfer, SWIFT, whatever, it's all digital. There's no question about it. Now, what does it mean to be specifically a digital currency? So the way I explain this natively in China is to use the following example. When we use a banking app on our phone or when we use WeChat and Alipay, and I see that I have a thousand RMB in my account. I see the numbers on my phone that say 1,000 RMB in whatever account. That money does not reside on my telephone, does it? No. It is the thousand is actually just a number showing me how much is in a bank account somewhere. So I have basically account-based transfer of money. I use my phone, but the phone simply tells different bank accounts to send money. That's it. Now, when I talk about central bank digital currency and I open my digital wallet on my phone and I see that I have a 1,000 renminbi in my digital wallet, that money, the digital representation of 1,000 RMB in zeros and ones hashed, in, hashed meaning turned into a long string of, char of undecipherable characters, that exists on my phone. So ready? So when I say I have 1,000 RMB of central bank digital currency on my phone 
it's really there on your phone. And when I transfer that, if I transfer 500 of that money, half, to you, and it goes to your phone, literally I am transferring a string of zeros and X's and ampersands and other strange characters from my phone to your phone, and it is an actual transfer of digital currency from phone to phone or digital wallet to digital wallet compared with if I have WeChat and you have WeChat and I send you 500 RMB, 500 RMB, but that money isn't on your phone. You received it. You've received it into a bank account and your phone simply shows you that you have an account and that account has money in it. So it's the concept that Cash is tokenized and not account-based, which is something that came directly from Bitcoin. Bitcoin uses a similar system. So see, when you look at China central bank digital currencies, they borrowed the tokenization of money like Bitcoin, and they borrowed a lot of the other technologies that go with it to build their central bank digital currency. So that's the, so that answers the fundamental issue of what is a digital currency? Ready? The money is physically on your phone. Now, look, let me help you. You're going to, you're all going to say, Oh my God, it's like Bitcoin. If I lose my phone, I lose my money. And the answer is no. There's a way to go to your bank and trace and to recover uh, lost funds on your phone. Okay. So that's the good news of central bank digital currency in China. It's not Bitcoin. If you lose it, it doesn't go away forever. Okay. Was there a part two to the question that you asked? Yeah. The, okay, let me just <laughs> clarify. The first part was obviously what's the fun in it. And I, I guess the whole idea is that it's a real cash equivalent in bits format in in electronically owned by you, which is fair. But that brings me to the second question, which is the whole trusted network uh, concept is what Bitcoin uses. And that's the whole concept of decentralized. Now, okay, so ultimately, yeah, you're back okay. to centralized, right? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, abs- absolutely. Look, central. Look, the, look. If you like Bitcoin, and I got no problem if you love Bitcoin, I'm agnostic. I like them all, or at least acknowledge them all. I don't have to love Dogecoin. I don't. But anyway, my point is this. So we've got centralized. We've got centralized versus decentralized. The revolution, as far as Bitcoin folks are concerned, is that this is decentralized and not controlled by an individual government. That's the original argument. And the argument is now no longer so true because virtually every exchange has KYC, Know Your Customer, has AML, anti-money laundering. So the concept where Bitcoin's days or decentralized currencies are free and open to the planet. Those days are gone. If you're not paying taxes on your Bitcoin, somebody is going to be upset with you somewhere in some government. Most. Maybe there's some that obviously developing countries, some really can't, including China, can barely control it. So no question about it. Central bank digital currencies are centralized. They are controlled by a central authority, which is the central bank. Their value is also controlled by 
their one-to-one relationship with fiat currencies, which are whose values are set on international money foreign exchange markets. Yeah, it's a fundamental difference in how you visualize the use of a currency. And I will tell you flat out, no central bank is going to come up with a decentralized currency. Their job, their, they view their job as controlling currency. And you tell them you should decentralize it so that you lose control of currency and you're not going to make any central banker in the planet happy with that. So I'm happy that there are going to be two worlds. One, a cryptocurrency world that is decentralized and may have high volatility and other problems associated with it. And I'm happy that there also will be a central bank digital currency world that will be controlled, but the value will be much easier to buy cups of coffee with, and they won't jump up and down 30%, and you're not likely to have as many frauds and scams and exchanges disappearing overnight with billions of dollars in them, as in South Africa last week or the week before. So we can look toward a future where basically you have digital wallets on your phone and you can choose the currency that you want to use, whether it's a central bank digital currency or whether it's a crypto. I live in a, I think that world is coming and I do not believe that central bank digital currencies are fantastic and crypto is got no place in the world nor do i believe that cryptocurrencies are going to displace central bank digital currencies and cbdc's have no place in the world i try to have a balanced view and see a world where they both coexist in a very different worlds or they live in very different worlds okay now i think you had another question about yeah you had a question about china Right and yes, about the government, yes. so you know, the um, whole and and financial uh, debacle look, that happened, uh, and of look, course the DD one last I week. I, yeah, yeah. Look, I can't speak for the why the I can't speak for why the current issues with D occurred. Although it is looking like increasingly. It is leaking out that DD had a regulatory warning from from the regulator, and they were advised to postpone their their IPO. And my comment on Twitter is that once this came out, and that obviously DD didn't mention it to anybody, it's lawyers on your mark or get set go or ready steady go because if DD knew that they were asked by regulators to postpone their IPO and did not mention it to anybody pre-IPO oh my god lawyers in the United States are going to have a field day with this as far specifically as it goes I do not believe and I wrote an entire chapter to this that I do not believe the narrative the facile narrative that goes Jack Ma made regulators very upset by a particular speech and the IPO was canceled in vengeance, out of vengeance for making regulators upset with that speech. Frankly, regulators were terrified. In order for Ant to produce 
the type of return required to justify that kind the three the peak of three hundred and eighteen billion dollar valuation that it peaked at it would have to flood the only way it could make the money required would be to flood the market with credit in China so Chinese regulators as far as ant was concerned were acting to ensure that there would be no no massive credit bubble in China, and I think that they were acting to protect common citizens and the financial system. And it's important to remember that Ant is no longer a little fintech. They are a systemically critical organization, too big to fail, to use the American terminology. So their IPO was postponed for issues of financial stability and credit stability in China. DD right now, it's looking increasingly DD was not forthcoming with the uh, regulatory request prior to the IPO, which really is going to be a, a legal field day. So there we go. In the end, do not think that the Chinese government will kill the goose that is laying the golden eggs for China. Look, when I tell you, when I said before that 40% of China's GDP is digital, clearly the Chinese government does not want to destroy this. They did not destroy Ant. Ant has come up with a solution with the PBOC. They've worked it all out. They're, they have a rectification campaign underway, no problem. Lots of people are were writing that, oh, Ant is going to be nationalized, it's going to be destroyed. None of that happened. The Chinese government wants to change the social contract between big tech and government. They don't like the way it's gone. They are going to change it. In doing so, it will be short-term painful for valuations for tech in China, no question about it. But the concept that China is somehow destroying their tech industry, I don't buy into, and I buy into this, that once everybody's happy with the new arrangement, they're going to explode and be even more digital and do even more. Okay? So I think that covers that. But Richard, if we just double click on what you've just said, whether it is for Alipay or Didi this time, isn't there some something to say about the accumulated data, these two private firms, and of course others in the country, but these two in particular that we're talking about, they have accumulated so much data. Do you not feel that somehow the state, the government, is interested to get access to those data as very well exemplified with the request to restructure Alipay or Alibaba, rather, and to ensure that the lending activities are being under a new house and that the entire data set accumulated is indeed being shared with other financial institutions. Okay, so let's, okay, this is a great question specific to Ant Group and Ant Group's data. Okay, and I wrote a big chapter in my book, Cashless, about this, and Basically, the government set up a state-run credit rating agency, and it mandated that 
the large lenders, there are about eight of them, contribute data to the state-run credit rating agency. And the name escapes me. I, I feel terrible. I wrote a chapter on it, and I can't remember their name now. I'll come up with it. Both Ant and WeChat Pay both refused to contribute data, saying as follows. The competitors of these eight companies that were included in the original group of the state-owned company will gain more than we will. We will provide data. But we won't get anything because we control all the world. They control all of China. That sure, was very sure. interesting. The credit rating agency had something like, when I wrote the book, the credit rating agency admitted to having data on something like 100 million people or 150 million people out of China's 1.4 billion, <laughs> meaning they were data poor, to say the least. Now, let's move to the United States for a second. In the U.S., if you have a credit card and you do not pay your bill, what happens? Okay. The you have a black mark on the credit bureau. But you have a black mark on the credit bureau because the bank that issued your card or the financial institution, it doesn't always have to be a bank anymore, but generally speaking, it's a bank, right? You didn't pay the bank. The bank automatically reports you to the credit rating agency. They share your delinquency with credit so that you don't turn around and get another credit card and get more money. So the concept of data sharing for delinquencies and credit events is well established in the Western financial system. It is not well established in China. Basically, WeChat and Alipay said, we have the data and we're not sharing it. The central bank said, look, we're trying to run a financial system here. People are going for credit cards and for loans and for other things all across, and we don't know whether they're defaulting or not. And you lend to more people than anyone else, and you're not telling us. When you frame the situation this way, <laughs> does that sound like... Does that sound like the central government, through their credit rating outfit, is being unreasonable? No, it doesn't. You're right. In the way you so, framed okay. it, it doesn't. So the, if you frame it from that perspective, it doesn't sound so bad. Now, there's a bunch of caveats that we have to think about. It is true that both WeChat and Alipay have proprietary credit rating data that is their IP, intellectual property, that perhaps should not be shared in full. Yeah, Got that's it. what I was going to say. The, in the countries, in the U.S., as you've taken this example, the financial institutions need to report an on-time payment or a default. They don't have to report all of the data they've accumulated on clients. Right. So there, now therein lies the problem. Alipay, when it uses its credit rating, it has 3,000 separate entries per person. Obviously, it's a weak data set. Not all 3,000 entries are populated. But that's how many 
bits of data go into making a credit score or credit decision for them when they go for their famous 310 loans, right? Three minutes to apply, uh, one second for a decision, and zero human beings. So clearly, if you give all 3,000 data points to the state's credit agency, they wouldn't know what to do with them anyway. So there's got to be some sort of, so what the solution that they've come up with, it's not fully, it's been, it's not been officially announced, but it's been leaked, is that they will start a new company between the state and Ant Group, and they will come up with some way to efficiently sell and or use the data and Ant will profit from the sale and use of the data and the state will get its hands on enough of it so that it's essentially happy. It was, and that, look, arguably that was probably one of the thornier or more difficult problems that the state and Ant had to work out. The state made it clear in December and January, February, a couple of times they said, we're not pleased with Ant's response. It was a problem, but they worked it out. And you can expect the same type of solution for WeChat. WeChat isn't going to get away with not supplying the the state's uh, credit rating agency with data. It's just not going to happen that way. That's where Ant's data sharing is and what you're going to see now look open, going beyond that and going into the the likes of dd and other big tech in china you're going to see some requirements for data sharing what kind of data how much all of these are going to be worked out but there's a requirement and the Chinese big tech companies were real, are really walled off. They don't do any sharing of data with anybody. And, and the government is pissed, actually, that they don't have, I don't want to say more access because it's not about getting all the data. It's about getting a couple of the data bits that are important to them. Okay. I yeah. Think, I think thank that... you. Thank you. While I agree that um, any financial system requires some supervision and oversight, and it's only natural to be willing to create uh, credit bureau facilities in in China, would you agree that essentially Alipay being a data company, a data based company, would you agree that now that Alipay is being forced to share all of its data, the the government has essentially destroyed the value of Alipay? Absolutely not. There's two statements there that are erroneous. The first is the, the comment that it would share all of its data. And in my prior discussion on that, I mentioned that there are 3,000 some odd data points, right? The concept that it's going to share all of these 3,000 data points is simply wrong. I don't believe that. And so that's number one. And the second that follows on this, the concept that Alipay sharing certain amounts of its credit data, limited, would somehow destroy it as a company. I just don't believe that. There's just so much um, data that Alipay acquires through its association with Alibaba and through all of the various merchants that it's almost limitless. And the government can look, there's the fallacy of big data. The more data you have, the more, and the answer is that's not really true. You have to know what the data means and what you're going to do with it. 
as I said with the 3,000 data points, all of this data is pretty much meaningless to the government unless it has some basis for knowing what it's going to do with it and how it's going to use it. So more data to the government does not destroy specifically uh, Alipay, Ant Group, or any of the associated companies with that. Thanks for that, Richard, and thank you, Sarah, for your questions. Uh, doing a quick room reset. This is the Asian Digital Supermovers Club. Today we are in conversation with Richard Curran, the best-selling author of China's Cashless, uh, China's Digital Revolution. We are going to continue taking some more questions because Richard has kindly agreed to extend his time by a few more minutes. We will go in PTR yeah. order. Uh, thanks, Richard. Well, and, uh, we're going to do Khan, questions. Thanks. I'm, yeah, I'm going to take questions and I'm going to be faster now. Okay. I promise. Look, these were long form. These were questions that were required longer answers. I'm going to try to do a lightning round now where we make sure that what I want to make sure is that somebody who's got a question gets it answered. I don't want to leave anybody behind. Okay. Yeah. That's very kind of you. Thank you. Dashil, if you're listening, I think you've been trying to come on. You've raised your hand. I've tried to add you about 15, 20 times. Seems to be a software bug, so maybe you want to leave the room and come back in. If not, you can drop me a note on Twitter, and I'm happy to ask a question on your behalf. Now over to Mustafa, who's been patiently waiting for some time now. Mustafa, please go ahead. Oh, hi, Mushira. Thank you. Thank you, Richard, for your insights. I'm normally based in South Africa. I manage a startup studio. For full disclosure, I've been involved in WeChat Pay in Africa at its first attempt between 2015, 2016, 2017. Wow, My question... And I'm happy to have a discussion around around these challenges. My question is actually around your your perspective on the future, on the landscape, specifically about the digital dollar coming up or the attempts around that, digital euro that claiming around the next zero to five years from now, and how will China leverage its first mover advantage, uh, specifically in respect to this international you know trading and as you mentioned uh, coming back on the Africa portion, they had to. But this intermediate all the suite of the world and so on. And how do you view that in, in the next uh, five years? Thank you. Okay. So next five years is a tough timeline. We're looking at the central bank, China's central bank digital currency launching next year. So that's not going to, and then it's got another year before it starts to internationalize. So within five years, it's going to be tough. Within 10 years, no problem. So I look at things in my book. I looked at BRI, Belt and Road countries developing, some of them developing within five years, but my time frame was within a decade. So the answer is, so to one, first mover advantage. Yes, without question. China has a first mover advantage, and in fact, you can see part of it manifesting itself now. And that is through the research it's doing with the... Um, BIS Innovation Labs in Hong Kong for what's called MCBDC, multiple CBDC, which is a blockchain system that helps transfer assets from one CBD system to another. So if you want to pay in a digital euro and convert it to a digital RMB, you can do it using these systems. That China's PBOC is assisting and helping build them means that they will be built to 
standards that I'm, I'm sure BIS will build them for standards for everybody, but the reality is China will know how to use them, know how to build them, and be the first ones on them. So yeah, that's a first mover advantage. Digital euro. Yes, I give the Europe the European Central Bank a tremendous amount of credit for advancing the digital euro concept and being very uh, positive about it. They're not messing around there. They really want to do it, and that's fantastic. The digital dollar, don't hold your breath. It's going to be a long time. The Fed has still been very um, guarded in whether it even feels there is a need for a central bank digital currency, as though everyone in the United States should want to willingly pay Visa and MasterCard charges of 2 and 3%, for which are tacked on to every uh, merchant transaction forever for the benefit of Visa and MasterCard. And if that sounds sarcastic, it's supposed to be. Definitely a first mover advantage for China. There's no race that the United States should have to have a CBDC before China. Let's face it, the dollar is the world's global reserve currency. The United States has more to risk if they screw up or make a mistake with their central bank digital currency. Developing countries, small islands like the Bahamas, there's low risk and high reward for developing countries to do, develop a, a central bank digital currency. If something goes wrong, it's not the end of the world. But if it goes right, they have a tremendous benefit for financial inclusion. So first mover, digital euro coming, digital dollar eventually coming, but there's no rush for them. The Fed has been very clear they're, they're on the fence. And by the way, the Fed doesn't do anything fast. So I think even if they said tomorrow they were going to work fast on it, you'd be another seven years. Just for a comment, it takes a while to build a central bank digital currency. It's not like Bitcoin or a coin you launch in about 24 hours. It connects to the financial system in many ways, and you really have to be careful with that. Okay? I think that pretty much answers all your questions. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I will leave the space for the others. The, the, just one, one point. You didn't mention so yeah, much about ahead. SWIFT and all these different players. That may be more short-term. You think that, that there will be a disruption in that uh, international transaction in all the fees that you mentioned for at least uh, the trade between WeChat and Alibaba and, and, and so on. Absolutely. Swift. Look, who's going to pay Swift? Look, the whole reason that China is doing the central bank digital currency, stated reason, is that it wants to decrease dependence on the dollar. And that is equivalent with saying decrease dependence on Swift, because they know that Swift has 8,000 companies that are blacklisted. Companies, entities, I should say. SWIFT has 8,000 separate entities that are blacklisted, not able to use the SWIFT system, including a bunch from China. And China looks at that and they say, look, we want our own systems. That's why they built the SIPS, C-I-P-S system for fiat currencies and another reason why they're building central bank digital currencies. And we'll use it in international transfers to avoid the SWIFT currency transfer system. No question about it. Thanks, Mustafa, for that question. Manan, please go ahead and ask your question. And thanks, Mushir, and for hosting this wonderful session. And thanks, Rich, uh, for sharing your insights. 
I am Manan and I'm based out of Singapore, looking after product and pieces for a fintech platform having digital banking capabilities, wallet and payment capabilities. I'll be very specific with my question. With respect to the China digital currency, is it based on a decentralized ledger or there is a common database held by the central bank? One. It's based on, no, for me, answer that one first. Then you go to the next one, okay? Because it's just easy. The answer is it's based on a centralized database and that database is Ocean is run. It's actually the database that Ant Group has, which is called Ocean something. I can't remember it now. It it escapes me, but it's based on the the Ant Group uh, database. Ocean base. Thank you, somebody. Thank you. I appreciate that. So it's based on Ocean Base. It is centralized. The concept of decentralized in China, and for that matter, for any central bank, not just the PBOC, is a no-no. Don't. I, I don't expect to see that happen. Mm-hmm. I can always be wrong. Next. Next question. Okay. Sure. Next okay. question. You and a couple. Of yeah, I'll be very quick. So the second question is about. The uh, CBDC POCs being uh, conducted by other countries. So they are very much looking at blockchain based platforms. And if you talk of retail payments via the uh, CBDC, so retail payments are usually having high volumes and low value against the wholesale payments, which are typically see high value and low volumes. So with that being considered, uh, do you see the other countries would also follow suit for having a non-blockchain based platform for CBDC instead of, yeah? Yeah, the answer is every country is going to have to work this out. I think that the assumption that central bank digital currencies are or must be based on blockchain is wrong. Every country has to get out. Every country has to see what its system throughput is going to be. And there are new blockchain technologies that are coming out, Ethereum 2.0. There's lots of new protocols that claim very high amounts of transaction per second. You know, here's the problem though. What, you know, you know, what central banker is going to build their brand new central bank digital currency on, quote, a new, untested, or otherwise new. Who's going to build, who's going to, who wants to build their their new CBDC on new technology? No, central banks are not on the bleeding edge of technology. They're not supposed to be. They just want stuff that works. And they want it to work clearly. They want it to have a history of working. When I hear about some of the, oh, this latest blockchain protocol, it's going to be great for a central bank digital currency. I literally write on LinkedIn. And by the way, if you're out there, connect with me on LinkedIn. I write about this stuff every day. In fact, today on LinkedIn, there is an article that ran in a the German Chamber of Commerce magazine. It's I just posted it this afternoon, this evening. Great article on the central bank digital currency of China challenging the dollar. Will it or won't it? And I explain why it's the wrong question to ask. But nobody wants to be the central banker who takes a risk and puts their new shiny digital currency on a new new platform. It's just not what they do. So I tell them on LinkedIn, good luck selling that to a central banker. And it's true. 
it's not that the tech is bad. It's just a lot of it is untested. And if it's not untested, you're not going to get it into a central bank environment. Okay? Yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks, Manan. My pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, Monica, you had a question? Monica, are you speaking on mute? Yes, I am. Uh, hi, Richard. My question is very simple. That the CBDC is going to be a programmable currency with an expiration token or an expiration date attached to it. Though I don't expect any government to actually be using it, given that uh, the currency can be used as a weapon of the state. Is this something of a consideration as other countries are looking at creating CBDCs and following a similar model? And as consumers, the second part of the question but related is, of course, as consumers, should we be worried about using digital currencies that basically track our every move? Because Chinese consumers in their pilots and the information that has come out, at least in the PR material, seems to indicate that users do not want the Chinese government snooping in. Would love to get some take on this. Sure. Look, those are, so there's two different questions here. The first one, the, the second one is on privacy, which is a real hot button issue. And you got to tell me the first question. I, I literally didn't write it down and, and I blanked because the privacy is, I talk about that all the time. So privacy was question two. Question one was, just refresh me a second. I apologize. Um, not a problem. The uh, question number one was that since the currency can uh, does have an expiration date and can be programmable. Oh, yes, programmable. Got yes. it. Okay, so let's take them one and two. Programmable currency. It is important that we understand that China's central bank digital currency has two means with which it can exhibit programmability. The second way, which is not in use yet, is through smart contracts. The PBOC does not want to turn on the smart contract feature within the CBDC for some time to come. Their goal is to launch the CBDC, have it work, have it be accepted, and then at some later date investigate how best to use smart contracts because smart contracts can be tricky. They don't want somebody selling fake life insurance or doing something crazy with a smart contract soon after the currency is launched. Make sense? That is the second, and that's the most common way. When people think of programmability, they think about programmability in terms of smart contracts. But there is a primary or first means of giving currency, digital currency, some form of smartness, brains. And that is through big data. Now, that has been used. The first time that China trialed its central bank digital currency in Shenzhen, it had rules. You could not take the digital currency and put it directly in your bank. You couldn't transfer it to... It had to be used within a certain amount of time. It had to be spent only at certain stores. Many of these features were actually 
built in in the sense that it was big data or programmability, but not smart contracts, programmability within the currency that allowed you to say, I can spend it at these stores, but I can't push it up to my bank. I have to use it by the following time limit and spend it within that time or it'll go away. And I can't spend it out of a province. So basically, somebody with central bank digital currency in Shenzhen couldn't fly on an airplane to another place with central bank digital currency trial and spend it there. That's the big data aspect of it. So now, the question, is this good or is this bad or is this scary? And the answer is clear. Basically, some of these features are already mirrored in Alipay and WeChat Pay. If the central, if the government or the police want to go shut down your WeChat or Alipay account, they can and they do in certain rare circumstances, but it has not been commonly done in China. The police aren't running around shutting down everybody's WeChat or Alipay. So the concept that the Chinese government is going to interfere with the payment system is not something that they've done with WeChat and Alipay, and it appears unlikely that they'll do it with central bank digital currency. Is it private? In other words, should we be afraid of the privacy from a central bank digital currency? The answer is complicated. Ready? All central bank digital currencies are custom built. China's model for a central bank digital currency is not the same as the Bahamas or Sweden's, who are also in, in trial. So we need to examine how a central bank digital currency is built before we judge whether its privacy is either acceptable or unacceptable. Will China's central bank digital currency be an unacceptable risk for some? The answer is unlikely. Those who, at least in the beginning, are going to use it are going to be all in China. You can't use it unless you have a Chinese bank account. Fine. So anybody who's currently in China uses WeChat and Alipay. The privacy on WeChat and Alipay are not substantially different than central bank digital currency. And in fact, central bank digital currency has greater amounts of anonymity, which keeps your data off of big tech's platforms. That's good. I would argue, and I do say this in the book, my book, that the central bank digital currency for Chinese people represents a increase in privacy over what they've currently got. Okay, now, central bank digital currency from China used in another country. If you are using it for trade, that means you're buying stuff from China. Chances are you have a Chinese bank account or conduct business through a Chinese bank because it's the only way you're going to buy stuff from China. The government knows exactly what you are buying anyway. So again, if when it comes to doing trade with central bank digital currency, again, there will be a minimum change in your 
privacy stat status compared to an importer exporter who already does business with a Chinese uh, bank account system. An individual, when the day comes, and this is somewhere ways off, an individual can use Chinese central bank digital currency in another third-party country. When that day comes, yes, they will have to make the call. Do I wish to use it? And that is probably the most serious or the most the, the biggest decision. If these people are, are happy to use WeChat or Alipay, personally, fine. That would be, be a no-brainer. It would be not a problem. But yes, the answer is personal decision on a third party is going to have to, people will have to decide. The way that people will make the decision is for convenience. The digital currency will have, certainly for commercial use, benefits associated with using it. So if you are uncomfortable using digital currency, the benefits will draw you to use it. Okay? Now, will or can the central bank shut you down? I got news for you. Any bank anywhere in the planet can shut you down. It is not unique to central bank digital currency. It is not unique to China. Okay? <laughs> Go to look at some, a private user of, of TransferWise or Wise Banking System or Revolut. Many third-party country people get shut down for KYC and they lose access to accounts overnight. It's not, it's not news. If you follow neobanks or challenger banks, this is a common problem. So the concept that Chinese banks are fundamentally evil and want to shut you down, or the government is fundamentally evil and wants to shut you down, is a bit of a stretch. And banks can shut you down now without a central bank digital currency being involved in any way, shape, or form. Ask all the people who were using Coinbase in the UK when Standard Chartered or Barclays or a couple of other banks simply won't handle their accounts anymore. That's the reality of the banking world we live in now, whether it's CBDC ruled or normal fiat ruled. Okay? Great. That, that was a very deep answer, and thank you so much for that, Richard. Doing a very, Sorry. very quick. That was not a short answer. I apologize, but that was a good <laughs> question. It was actually a very good question and, and a great answer for the question, right? I think the audience has tremendously uh, benefited from that. Uh, a quick room reset. This is the Asian Digital Super Movers Club. We are speaking with Richard Turin, the fintech expert and award winning author of Cashless uh, uh, China's Digital Revolution. His book is out on, and available on Amazon. Grab it. Follow our speakers, uh, in particular Richard, to know when he's on again on Clubhouse and to listen in to conversations as this topic. And of course, follow our club to listen to more OGs such as uh, Richard coming on board and talking to them to you about your expertise. We have two final questions and then we'll close the room. Uh, sure. It's coming up close to 11 p.m. for Richard in uh, Shanghai. So we'll be respectful of your time and really appreciate you extending by half an hour. Thank you so much. No, my pro my pleasure. It really is. I love you guys. This is my first clubhouse. It's really fun. I like talking to people. I hate giving PowerPoints. I'm tired of Zoom and PowerPoint. <laughs> this is perfect. We love you too. Um, Brian, please ask your question. 
Can you hear me? Yes, we can. I can hear you, Brian. Go ah, ahead. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Richard, nice to have a chat with you. I saw some of your YouTube videos and I was really interested in your, in your book. So one point is that I usually like Audible, so I didn't find your book on Audible on Amazon. So I wish... I don't know if you can talk to your guys and see if they can make a... No. The answer is it's very simple. No. And the reason why is that audiobooks cost a crap load of money to produce. You got to pay somebody to sit in a room and read 400 and something pages. So it's just economically not possible for an audiobook to pay for itself. Unless you can do them with computers or robots and then they sound crappy and people are, are going to get upset that I sold them a bad audiobook. So that's with that. So on to the CBDC question. But I love okay. questions about my book too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. My question is, in one of your videos, I heard you talking about on top of the CBDC itself. Sorry, Brian, we lost you for a second. Do you mind repeating your question from the start? Yeah. So um, I just wanted to ask, I don't if, can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Yes, no problem. Yeah, yeah. In one of your talks, you talked about the functionalities of a CBDC over and above uh, the, the, the currency part of it. So on top of it being a currency, there are other functionalities underlying, like you talked about logistics and I don't know some other stuff. So could you talk more about that? I was really interested in that. Uh, the CBDC being above and beyond what? You've dropped out. Your connection dropped out. I'm sorry. <laughs> on top of it not being only a currency, it has other functionalities. Ah. Yes, indeed. Okay, so look. Folks, look, if you're hanging in there this far, I have this is the big reveal. Look, if I had any great idea in my book, it is this. People are going to tell you the following. Look, nobody wants to use the RMB. Who is going to want to use the digital version of the RMB? And they're looking at the functionality of currency as being static, fixed. It is not true. When you start dealing with digital currencies, particularly China's central bank digital currency, it is going to come with something attached to it. And that something is the digital logistic system of China. Unless you live here, it's hard to understand. But China has made shipping stuff from one part of the country to the other a dream. Everything arrives in 24 hours. How it happens is a miracle. That digital logistics system is already being exported, meaning that when you buy stuff, it goes through customs. It has a blockchain system that carries all the documents that can get you trade financing that can do the so basically the utility function of money is changing for the economists out there that's a big statement ready when you compare currencies traditionally the dollar versus the euro you look at them and you say they do the same thing 
their values are different based on fundamentals, government debt, stuff. Now we're living in a world where currencies do not do the same thing. You can argue about what their value is based on fundamentals, but if I tell you that a digital RMB will get your container of goods to your doorstep two weeks earlier than using a fiat U.S. dollar way to purchase the, the stuff, the utility of the currency has changed. And that's a really important concept. So, getting back to your question, Brian, the digital RMB is not just a currency. It's an entryway into a digital logistics system, digital customs clearance, all of this done on blockchain, and it's real. It's not like I'm imagining this stuff. These digital blockchain systems, not yet using central bank digital currency, but the blockchain systems exist carrying trade between Hong Kong, Macau, and Shenzhen, the greater Bay Area. And they're carrying billions of dollars of trade right now, and the people who are using them say, it's fast and it's cheap. We like doing business like this. There you go. And that's at the root of your question, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Sanjay, Sanjay please yeah, ask I'm your here. question. Yeah. yeah, hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Sanjay from Nepal. And my question is, it's really great to know about the Chinese digital currency. And I am really curious to use it as well. But I don't know how to get access because I'm using Alipay and other digital platforms. But I'm not able to use, uh, I'm not able to get access to this currency anywhere. Like uh, the center, I don't know whether no, it's the central bank currency it's a, or it is. No, uh, it's okay. You're not supposed to have access to it. It no. is in limited. It is yeah, in limited exactly. trial within certain Chinese cities, <clears throat> and a friend of mine, a friend of mine in Beijing, posted on LinkedIn. He said, "I am the first foreigner." He's in the diplomatic corps, and he said, "I am the first <laughs> foreigner to ever use central bank digital currency." He got a digital wallet approved, and he was allowed to test it. So the answer is, this is only in China, certain cities, and is in trial. It will most likely be launched in 2022 with the Olympics in, in the north, in Beijing. But we have to wait for the final word. So it's not available for you to use. I don't have it, and I wish I did just so I could take a video and say I've used it. So be patient. It's I guarantee you it's coming, but it's for all of us in foreign, especially those in, for all of us who are in China, we have to wait. And for those who are in foreign countries, we have to wait even a little bit longer. Okay. Okay. One final question. Like, yeah. Uh, it sure. would be mostly like a stable currency, like the USD Tether or something like that. So because no, it is the central I'm currency. Gonna, uh, Sanjay, I'm going to bite your head off. And I'm not trying to be mean, but I, ha but I won't let you say that. Reason? It is the official currency of the country of China. Flat oh, out. It, flat is out. Not like a it is not like a stable coin. It is not like something else. 
it is like a paper RMB note, and that's the only thing that it's like. Got it. I, I just wanted to ask, like, whether in the foreign markets that it might be traded in a different value or something like that. It's not going to happen like no. that. That's for sure. It will not sure. be. It will not be traded in foreign markets for that's a while. Better. The network on which the central bank digital currency of China mm -hmm. travels is very specific. So you're not going to find it on Coinbase, not going to be mm -hmm. available like a cryptocurrency in any of the normal cryptocurrency platforms. Remember, China mm -hmm. hates Bitcoin. They really hate it. Got it. Okay, so you're not, if, if you think in terms of any system that would carry crypto is automatically disqualified from carrying central bank digital currency. Okay? So the first transaction I want to do is buy a book from that currency. I guess. Oh, that's the, be that's the best trade in the world. So to all of you out there who are still hanging in there, the book is Cashless, China's Digital Currency Revolution. It's on Amazon all throughout the planet. I kept it. Look, on this book, I tried to keep it cheap. I kept the book. It's The U.S. dollar price is $4.99. So I basically want to books. I don't, I'm not making a I'm – I'm making so little on every book. It's funny. But the idea was to get the ideas out there is more important than to make a couple of extra bucks selling selling the book. I'm sorry. I actually looked at trying to get – some kind of coupon for you guys, for all of the viewers, listeners here tonight. And Amazon doesn't have a way for me to make a coupon, get it to you guys, and then get you a discount on the book. I really tried, but they, they did away with that kind of discounting a couple of years back. And you can't do it anymore. So anyway, but I tried. So... Um, well that's awfully that's, kind of you, Richard. I mean, Thank you so much. Very, Thank you so much, yeah. Richard. It's great knowing that by 2022, we, we will be having the ECNY or whatever is the name. For, for, for a great way to pay for stuff. You can whatever you want. It doesn't matter. It's, but it's going to be the official currency of China and it will be accepted by everyone everywhere because it's real money. Got it. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's, it was a pleasure knowing that. Thank you so much, oh, Sanjay. Look, and folks. Go on, please. Thank here. you so much for hanging in there. We've got a lot of people still online. I know. Thank you so much, everybody, for staying back. It's, it's been a tremendous learning experience for me. I'm a big fan of Richard's. All the posts he puts out is, is a lot of learning uh, about understanding how that system operates, understanding how CBDCs and overall... Uh, ecosystem in mainland china is growing so once again richard pleasure delight for us to have you as part of the asian digital supermovers club we are uh, extremely honored that this was your first clubhouse club and we do hope you, we can call you back uh, another time to have uh, a similar discussion with maybe on different themes with your book is extremely well priced i, I dare i must say i think it will be very competitive even for an indian audience uh, in terms of five five usd would be a fairly Comrade price for uh, anybody in India as well to pick up these books. Great. So thanks again. And uh, on behalf of the Asian Digital Supermovers Club, thank you all for staying in. Please do follow Richard and the club to be more aware about topics such as uh, fintech. I 
host a room on Future of Money, which is usually on Tuesdays at 7.30 India time. Pritish, my co-founder here, hosts the rooms on growth and scale on Sundays. And Monica hosts the rooms on products on the weekends, on Saturdays. And we will be having a lot more rooms happening uh, in the coming days. So follow the club and put a notification there to know about our future rooms. So once again, thank you, Richard, for joining us. Wish you a a good night. I know it's quite late uh, for Shanghai and Hong Kong where we are now. Thanks to the audience. And I will be closing the room in a few seconds. So thanks again for joining us. Don't forget to follow Richard and the club. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mushir. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.